The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Tired of diesel buses? Want more cycle lanes or bus lanes? Which projects do you want Auckland Transport to work on first? They need your opinion. So head to haveyoursay.at.govt.nz forward slash RLTP to do just that. Consultation closes on 17 June. Get in quick. Welcome to Gone by Lunchtime. My name is Toby Manhire and it is 2017. Welcome back to the pod. Ben Thomas. It's a new year and a new us. Welcome back, Annabelle Lee. Tena koutou. Um, tena koutou. Oh, we... I was talking about Jose as well. Jose, oh, I didn't I want to leave him Jose. out. No, but I wasn't looking at him then. I was just trying to show yeah, off. I was impressed. Um, uh... What's been happening? Let's um, let's just sort of start on the distinctly personal level, rather than getting to the great big uh, bushfire of uh, politics. Mm. And about what have you been doing? You, the Hui is in abeyance at the moment. Yes, we've Coming just back started on, back. Oh, you just started back mm-hmm. at work. Mm-hmm. When's the uh, first episode? Uh, I think our first record is the third or fourth of March. Okay, and so Somewhere that'll be on that TV area. three. TV yep. three. Um, it's it's a we've missed it, haven't we, Ben? Terribly. The hooey. I, <coughs> I certainly have. <laughs> um, what have you been doing instead? Sunbathing. Oh, nice. In Point Chev. Um, and eating ice creams in Point Chev also. Oh, the new place with the cuppity ice cream. No, not that one. No. I don't like that one. Oh. It's got such a pretentious menu. No, the one down the road. <laughs> for, for, What's a shakti bowl? Does uh, anyone know what a shakti bowl is? Can someone help me out? A no. what? A shakti bowl. Shakti. A shakti bowl. Have a look. Check out the menu. Um, I was at that new cafe. Mm. We, um, for more on this, you can check out our local cafes of Point Chevalier podcast, which we hope to be introducing <laughs> soon. Ben Thomas, we know what you did uh, because we had an emergency podcast with you. You went to America. Oh, you did. I did. America. I, I yeah. It was it was like the um, final scene of the original Ghostbusters. Cool. You know, the, the the air was opening up, debris and mm. nightmares were flying around. Mm. Were you like um, the marshmallow man that comes out? Big or- orange marshmallow man. <laughs> Harsh, but probably accurate. Um, and and since getting back, I've just been transfixed in, with mm. horror mm. It, as, as, as it unfolds um, in in the world's second largest democracy. Um, on this, the second to last day that I was uh, in the States, I popped into the 9-11 Museum yes. in New York. Um, which is an amazing, amazing sort of curatorial and design kind of project um, to evoke the, the Twin Towers and, and sort of what happened at the World Trade Center on 9-11. Um, and it's actually got a, a lot of sort of um, background text, a lot of explanatory stuff. Mm. And uh, it goes into quite a bit of depth about Al-Qaeda and, and specifically points out that the... Uh, the point of uh, the the ultimate goal of the terrorists as extreme salafists is the uh, the segregation of the Muslim and non-Muslim worlds, um, which I I found very poignant and sadly ironic a couple of days later, mm. uh, when when the new president sort of uh, ground into action. Are the Freedom Towers open yet? 
Yeah, the Freedom Towers open and the, the footprint of the World Trade Center, the, the two Twin Towers, um, are, are these sort of huge pools with waterfalls kind of disappearing into mm. a void. It's all very moving. Um, and then the, the 9-11 museum is actually underneath, um, you know, so, so it uses one of the original retaining walls to keep the Hudson River out of the foundations of the World Trade Center, you know, as, as one of the internal walls of the museum. It's, um, you know... It's a crazy place, you know, the sort of whole fire engines in there as an exhibit, you know, with their, their back ends sort of warped and melted, you know, looking like an avant-garde sort of art uh, kind of piece, but actually just the sort of um, the debris of the explosions and the heat. Is there still like a strong sense of tapu there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, 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 and the original site has actually been really integrated into, um, into it. You know, you've got sort of old structural girders, kind of, you know, like placed there and where, where there's a staircase, they actually place one of the the remnants of one of the staircases that was used um, to escape from the second tower, um, sort of alongside it. So it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, in terms of, in terms of America, probably, you know, probably the most sacred place, sort of, I think, these mm. days. Yeah. We'll come back to Trump in a little bit, um, particularly as uh, it pertains to New Zealand in election year. We'll talk a bit about that, the election coming up. Um, but we're speaking on February the 7th, uh, which is, of course, the day after Waitangi Day. So let's start there. Although it's, it's fair to say we were going to record last week, um, but then uh, Ben Thomas, who works for shadowy political PR firm Exceltium, had to go to Wellington for some shadowy business. For some shadowy client, no doubt, wasn't it, Ben? I assume. Yeah, cu- currently my day job still pays more than my podcast royalties. I mean, if we could, if people could share and download Gone by Lunchtime I, and fr- you, free me from this noticed, burdensome toil. I, I noticed that you have completely overlooked the fact that there is a packet of macaroons open on the table here. And that is gratis, all right? But I raise that really not to assault Ben, although that's a happy byproduct. I raise it because... Um, Annabelle mm. said that we couldn't record it without Ben because that would be like Oasis playing without Liam. The mm. shit Gallagher brother. And I thought I should give you an opportunity to respond to that the, slur, Ben. Well, yeah, I mean, especially with Noel's post-Oasis career where he just he just sings all the songs himself with any sort of four guys he's rounded up from a pub <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Look, I, as, as a, as, you know, only, only 90s kids will remember how deeply hurtful this is. <laughs> except, that, except that Liam had a lot of charisma. I mean, he may have been... And a lot of birds. He may have not had an awful lot of substance, <laughs> but he had a... He had, Sort of limitless charisma until things until he didn't anymore. Mm. So I don't know. I thought it was a me myself. (laughs) Why Tangy Day, Annabelle? uh, Mm. The two, I suppose, big issues that kind of made their way into the mainstream at least were Bill English's decision not to go, which was uh, telegraphed at the end of last year, and then the um, the imposition of a Fee for media attending. Should we start with Bill English? Uh, should he have been there? Did it matter that he decided to instead go to he went to Ngati Fatua, uh commemorations? Was that not all, all okay in the end? Well, I'm, I'm sure he had a lovely day at Orake with Ngati Fatua, but um, the Prime Minister should be at Waitangi on Waitangi Day. And I think, you know, given that there was a big story last year about how 
um, politicians don't turn up for you know the final readings of treaty settlements. So when you roll up to Waitangi on Waitangi Day and expect speaking rights and to be fettered, it seems a little bit ridiculous when you're not interested in showing up to Waitangi stuff that actually happens in Parliament. So I, th I thought it was a, a sign of weakness on his part. I think he should have fronted up and he would have been respected more for it. Ben? No, I, I disagree. I think that uh, every administration eventually loses patience with the TT Marae Committee. Um, it, it happened with uh, you know John Key, in, in his, who had made a, a point of promising to attend Waitangi every year after Helen Clark had stopped attending uh, because she got upset. I don't think she went for the last six or seven years of her tenure. Um, I think Bulger did go, Shipley maybe didn't, Longy stopped going for a while, I think. It's it's just one of these things that happens. It's it's a poorly organised event. Um, you, you you know one thing to remember about Waitangi Day is it's not actually just Maori Day. It's about the Maori Crown relationship, which is is what the treaty is. You know the Crown is not merely a silent partner or a nice to have there. Um, and I I think you've got to accord a little respect to the Prime Minister um, on on that day. Um, you know there. <laughs> The, the the problem is not any kind of huge ideological cleavage or anything. It's just that, you know, this is a small rural marae. Um, they don't have great organisational capabilities. It's not run by professionals. And so the the event ends up as a bit of a farce uh, every year. Um, you know, Bill English, in t political terms, has been completely vindicated. You know, I think over the weekend, um, with this kerfuffle about sort of media access you know, sort of tarpaulins being pulled up and police shuffling media off because they had refused to pay a koha, which it's to totally the marae's right to charge, uh, or to ask for, at any rate. Um, you know, Andrew Little said that if media were banned, you know, he'd, he'd boycott uh, the lower, uh, lower marae as well. Well, so, I mean, essentially what you've got in, in professional wrestling terms, you'd call it a schmozzle. And no one can really remember. <laughs> no, no, no one really remembers the nuances of it, except that it all turned into a big shit fight. And Bill English was smart enough to stay away. Isn't there uh, some sense in which it's a schmozzle and a shit fight, but it's our schmozzle? And the, you know, I mean, Leonie Leonie Hayden made a good point. I think the editor of Mother Magazine made a good point, which was that you don't get invited to a church service and get a, and expect to deliver the sermon. I totally you know? agree. I think you're you're right, Ben, in terms of it being not run professionally. Like it's a marae committee, so it's always going to be subject to internal politics. But in terms of the Crown being a silent partner on Waitangi Day, far from it. Like, and do you think that the marae committee of Teti could go down to Parliament and expect? speaking rights and to ask questions at questions time and all of that stuff. On Waitangi Day, Te Timurai, for better or for worse, the tikanga that's developed over time in our country is that that is the parliament and the mana of that marae and the tikanga of that marae should be how the day is governed, whether you agree with it or not and everybody can get up and have their say and put their two cents worth in and disagree and debate and that's the wonderful thing about living in a democracy. But to just simply say, oh, I'm not going because it's not being run the way I want it to be run is ridiculous. And the other thing too is my understanding is that although he wasn't allowed to speak during the porphyry initially, he was going to be given, given another opportunity to speak. Given the marae is one of the few places where our language thrives, the only place 
where it thrives. Um, sh on Waitangi Day, can we not uphold that one tikanga? Can there not be that one place for te reo? I mean, he has a soapbox every other day of the year. It does seem, doesn't it, though, Annabelle, strange that both in the past, for most of Key's time, he was given the opportunity to speak. And um, why, it seems sort of almost petulant to sort of make these changes. And then you've got on top of that this $10,000 uh, fee that was being imposed for media to go, which immediately puts them offside. Do you think people are being too precious about that? My immediate I response to that was... I think the media's response to that has been absolutely um, pathetic. So in s because they can't go on to, to their team marae, instead mm. of doing any meaningful Waitangi coverage, we just get them tossing their to toys on the grass outside their tea and basically being in victim mode and woe is me and all the rest of it. Why not do some stories about why Māori are overrepresented in every negative statistic in this country and how that relates to the treaty not being honoured. I know, we just get endless PTCs of reporters feeling sorry for themselves outside their tea. The irony is, is that basically none of them in the mainstream, except a small handful, speak Māori anyway, so wouldn't even know what was happening on their tea. What would you have done if you'd been up there with a team for the hui? Well, I wouldn't have paid $10,000 because I think that's far too much. So. I would have changed the um, the types of stories that we did and perhaps yeah. focused on something like that and left the politicians to it because Waitangi Day is not all about them. And what would you have done um, if you'd if they'd if, if you'd been a I don't know an advisor a media advisor to TT committee? I would have were... I would have said for them not to charge that amount. Okay. But you know what? That's their marae. It's a private. It's private property. They can charge whatever they, they like, and it's our right to say, mm. "No, we're not going to pay that. We're, we'll leave you guys to it. We're going to go do our own stories." But to stand outside their tea, I just thought looked pathetic. Ben, have you got anything to add on that? Yeah, look, I mean, Teti Marae Committee has to decide: are they a are they a private uh, a private marae, a private organisation and group, or are they the centrepiece of our national days? Um, commemorations or you know the day before at any rate um, and I think there's a tension between those two things mm. um, you, can't, you can't say that all eyes should be on Te Te Marae and also we're going to charge media organisations a pretty outlandish fee um, I, I, don't, I can't believe that the Crown doesn't provide a significant enough koha to um, cover whatever catering costs um, there are but I hear what you're saying Ben like there is that tension between you know that's it being the place where Waitangi happens, the heart of Waitangi, and you know the ability for everyone to cover it. Obviously, that's what we would like. But I understand their frustration where every year you round up an army of volunteers who direct all the traffic and put up the marquees and run the cup of teas and help people out and all of that. They do it all for free. And then when the coverage goes to air, basically they get crapped on every year or all of that stuff is completely ignored so that the dildo tosser becomes the main story mm. and the focus of the day. So I understand their sense of frustration. Why put on this show of manakitanga when it all gets sort of thrown in your face ultimately anyway? Thrown in your face, quite literally. In the case <laughs> literally. Of <laughs> no, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, Steve, uh, uh, Bill English, as you say, was at Oraki and he had um, just, I think, uh, exited the marae and got back in the car and he had a, had a, had a, had a telephone call from the marshmallow man, the Lucas Aid marshmallow man, 
Um, and that went for 15 minutes. And he was credited, Annabelle, with having lasted that long by one or two reports. <laughs> and this was a this was a sign. I mean, I guess he's got five children, so he's used to dealing with rabble. But to have, I mean, that was a call we were expecting. What do you think they talked about? How do you think that went? Did you, I like the photo of him in the back of the car. Yeah. Trying to act real casual mm, and cool, mm, rolling mm. Focused, like, like gangster. Lit. How many buttons undone? Mm, yeah, uh, at least two. Eh? I think it was two undone. Not a, no tie to be seen. No tie. So casual. It's a, it's a, it's a national holiday. Waitangi Day is for <laughs> for all New Zealanders, well, even even tireless ones. Well, Waitangi Day will now be remembered as an important day in New Zealand's history because it's when Bill English spoke to Donald Trump That's on the right. telephone. Fifteen d- minutes. Like what more manner enhancing? <laughs> event could have happened on Waitangi Day. I, I, I like that um, Trump's advisors are obviously, you know, they're kind of calibrating him in real time. You know, an hour with Malcolm Turnbull was too much. I think, frankly, for anyone... ...perfed on that after sort of 30 minutes. So they were like, well, okay, we'll start him with 15 minutes with yeah. the Prime Minister yeah. of New Zealand. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe work him up to sort of 20 minutes with yeah. the head of the EU or something. It's only a matter of time until someone publishes a list, and it might be me of uh, how New Zealand comes top on the minutes per capita oh. in conversations with Donald Trump. There is a very, I, th- I think the other, mm. the other discussions with uh, the U- Yugoslav. Mm. Uh, no. That, We're not up to speed that's, on that. That's, that's not even a real country, even a country anymore. Country. I, I, can't, I think he had, he had two, two other presidential calls that day, and apart from that it was the, um, the Super Bowl. Yes. And... Um, and Fox speeches. News, yeah. Fox News, big interview that he trailed heavily on his Twitter. Yeah, account. so I mean, I think there is a there, we have a good claim to probably being the best phone call of the day. Mm. How did um, Be- beating as beating our neighbours across opposed the, to the ditch worst. again? Yeah. It was the worst. <laughs> it was the worst call, Mister Trumbull. Um, what was hilarious about the the, the Trumbull Trump call? Um, what was the, these back back channel briefings? through which each tried to sort of assert their kind of manhood and about how each yeah. scolded the other yeah. one. So so Tur- Turnbull slash Trumbull would not comment sort of publicly after being cucked by Trump's advisors in the media. Ooh. And but but then high ranking officials revealed to the Australian press that uh, actually, actually, Malcolm Turnbull thought he was a bully, and he knew that the only way to to deal with a bully was to stand up to him and bully him back. He bullied him back off the record. Oh, God, oh, bullied him back. A firm That's, off the record. That is, bullying. that is strictly deep background. <laughs> but Malcolm bullied him back. Yeah, you could say shit, shit fronted him. Shit fronted. <laughs> oh my God! Imagine that. That's taking me back. Um. Uh, Vladimir Putin, actually, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe whether that's maybe maybe Putin had instructed through his compromat president that um, he should, was to be forget it shirt fronted. Um, how did he handle it? Generally, English has come under some pressure for over the um, whatever you want to call it the visa ban, the extreme vetting, um, and you know, everywhere around the world, leaders the, the Muslim upon, ban. Um, well, I mean, that's what the president has called it from time to time. <laughs> so let's go with that. How, how do you think English was? English was criticised for being slow, for being sluggish in his response, and for being insufficiently condemning in his response. What do you guys reckon? How do you think the phone call would have gone about that stuff? I, I doubt it would have been raised, you know, except in passing. Sort mm. of, you know, a bit of discussion over here about your uh, about your your immigration ban 
as it would have been known on that phone call. Um, Bill was a bit slow out of the blocks on it. It took him about, what, about a day and a half to comment. Mm. Um, so I think he was failed by his foreign minister there. Um, and as far as and, the foreign minister then condemned the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So oh, being, and then McCulley, so, like, kicked the Ministry of Foreign yes, Affairs right in the gonads. Yeah, that was, that was I, I would have been... I would have been a bit pissed off if I was a if I was a staffer at Foreign yeah. Affairs. You should have worked harder to confirm the details. <laughs> all right, mate. Yeah, all right. If you and we sent a lot of faxes, we sent so many faxes, <laughs> the best faxes. And and the thing is, because you know we already know that the Trump administration is not communicating through ordinary lines. So when Trump called uh, John Key upon assuming the president uh, or you know on winning the election. He, he didn't actually arrange that through the State Department. So, you know, the, these normal lines of communication are much less valuable yeah. um, than they once were. Every, every, everyone is kind of winging it in the White House right now, it seems. Um, there was that remarkable New York Times piece about, um, you know, meetings being basically conducted in the dark because oh, nobody, beautiful. nobody in beautiful the administration intro. knows where the, where the light switches are or, or, or how, to work, how to work the meeting. <laughs> the idea of Bannon stalking around... Uh, <laughs> Dusky room issuing instructions. That's it's right. The, wh- the White House else. administration is sort of Edgar Allan Poe gothic short story. Yeah. Um, we have at about 200 and something days to go, maybe probably about 229 days to go, Bill English announced the election day at the start of last week. It is September the 23rd. <sighs> so we kind of all go, how do you reckon Bill English has gone so far? I mean, he's now been in the role, what, two months, I guess? Uh, just under two months. Um, most of that has been summer holiday so uh and he spent had a reasonably successful trip in europe but didn't get much coverage because the new zealand media stops completely over the break um how 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 would you rank rate review his performance so far do you think it's well i, I mean he hasn't uh, i guess he's performed as expected except for waitangi i thought that he would have um shown stronger leadership on uh-huh. that one to be fair so n- not ranking highly with me Ben? Started off well. One thing um, that characterises Bill English is that he always looks at two sides of things. You know, in interviews you can often sort of hear him thinking out, you know, going through his thought processes. That can be a disadvantage um, on something like the immigration ban we were talking about, uh, where people want a clear, direct, quick statement of principle. Mm. Um, So Bill's challenge throughout through until the election will be to avoid any suggestion that his thoughtfulness is a mark of indecisiveness. Mm. Um, he probably didn't start out great uh, in the first couple of weeks this year on, on that score for that reason. On the other hand, uh, his, his, his sort of clear decision about uh, Waitangi Day, I think is, you know, contra Annabelle, I think it's actually been vindicated by the subsequent mess. Um, and, and luckily... Well, Paula had fun. <laughs> Paula had a great time. I'd just like to interject here. Uh, uh, perhaps the most exciting thing on the spin off this week, stay tuned, listeners, readers, is we have a Paula Bennett review of Guns N' Roses uh, going up on the on the site. Guns N' Roses li- live in Auckland. Annabelle's shaking her head at me. She's disappointed. I think there's going to oh, be I'm a. No, I'm not of... disappointed. I'm jealous <laughs> that, that you can get her to do stuff with you guys. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so she didn't lucky. come on your show. Paula, come on, go on, come on the hooey. Um, but you hey, promised but to talk only look, about Guns N' Roses. Don't you reckon if um, Trump had run key, that, that that conversation would have gone for like 45 minutes to an hour 
it'd have been so funsies and they would have talked about gold and the best eats in Hawaii it'd have been so cool they're yeah. two oh, fully they're... grown adult sons I'm more a Lynx yeah. man are you a Lynx man or a, yeah. old spice um, but uh, spe- speaking of an appetite <laughs> speaking for... of golf but that too that's okay. <laughs> I was, I, was, I was just going to do the, the smoothest segue of my entire adult life. Go, go. I was going everyone, to say, everyone listen. speaking of an appetite for destruction, oh, one, nice. one thing that plays into uh, Bill English's hands uh, coming up at the election, the election is the fact that the, the Labour the labor self-implosion train is never late. Oh, Labour. So, Labour. Let's talk about Labour. Uh, everything is shaking down. Like we said, September 23rd, and, you know, people are starting to think about draft lists uh, for our MMP system. There are a few remaining battles for selection in the various parties for seats. I don't know if there are many left with National. Labour's got a few to go. But the big one in the last couple of weeks, Annabelle Lee, is um, Willie Jackson, Mm. who was hotly tipped... As the Māori Party candidate for Tamaki Makoto, in fact, I mean, I think he, I mean, it was it was being talked about as an almost dead cert, wasn't it? I mean, and, yeah, or mana, or mana. Okay, I, th- Gosh, I think it was certainly be being talked about by Willie. Well, <laughs> yeah. well uh, I mean, it was it was a pretty open secret. Let's put it that way. Then uh, I, I but, actually heard the Labour Party rumour, and I thought that is just crazy. That cannot be true because you know Willie's on the record. You know his level of vitriol towards the Labour Party yep. is is um is well known. So I was like, no, that's ridiculous. That can't happen because the rumour was that Labour were actually trying to heavy penny henari yeah. into relinquishing Tamaki Makoto and standing on the list so that think, Willie could stand. I was like, I, surely I not. I, I mean, I don't even think that's a rumour. I, th- I mean, I'm happy to mm. say that's true. <laughs> well, that that has since been confirmed, but it seemed so outlandish at the time. Right. But, but um, now Willie's there. there Willie, but Willie, Willie, Willie is, so Willie won't be standing in Tamaki Makoto, but he has been apparently guaranteed a single digit yeah, and uh, this, list, is where it all gets, this is where it Labour. all gets interesting because my understanding is that he will need to seek a waiver because he has been a member for less than twelve months, right? And that that lab, that the waiver hasn't in fact been granted yet, but they've gone public with it, which seems a little presumptuous, you know, to curtail your own party's processes like that. But what's really interesting is the implosion that's occurred in Labour. Following it, so you have you know the guy that ran Andrew Little's campaign, starting a petition beseeching Labour to get rid of him. You've got Porto Williams, you know, um, writing Facebook posts, um, raising the, the, the roastbusters the, the, the issue. Labor so Party you have to wonder what was this is a senior Labour spokesperson. You, well, you yeah, know. you would have thought that Little would know what a controversial, knowing what a controversial figure Willie is, Uh that he would have perhaps sat down with some key figures in Labour first and sort of worked this all through so that when the announcement happened that it was all clean and tidy, everyone was squared away. But no, typical Labour, who loved to lurch from one disaster to the next, squirted out at Waitangi and then all hell breaks loose. The um, the much lauded Southern strategy of the Labour Party, uh, moving uh, Chief of Staff Matt McCartan up to Auckland mm. um, to concentrate on the sort of Monaco and, and, and sort of Auckland metropolitan area, basically seems to involve McCartan kind of prizing these these um, 
frozen alliance MPs out of like a cryogenic chamber. Mm, like passenger. <laughs> That's right. Re- reheating them to do interviews with the spin-off about their uh, their aspirations or to... To, 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 to ben, is, ben is referring to an interview with Lila Hare, who, uh, like Willie Jackson, is a former member of the Alliance, and yeah. like Willie Jackson, is close to Matt McCartan, who was Chief of Staff for Labour and is now their kind of Auckland czar. And uh, she, I mean, I'm not, I think, I th- according to a report in the Herald, she's now less less inclined to try and go for this time round, but she she also has rejoined the Labour and described it as an, which was interesting, as an anchor party. So, um, I suppose I suppose the one way to look at it is that, um, notwithstanding the obvious sort of the, the political management of it all is, is 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 pretty hopeless, it seems to me. But the the argument, I guess, would be that Labour is re-establishing itself as the party it was before all the shit went down in the eighties. You know that we are now uh, the Alliance split off. Um, uh, new Labour split off the alliance, blah blah blah, and now Labour, you know, Labour's coming home to its base. Wouldn't you do that with like policies that reflected that though? Well, I think so. Rather than just like you know, pulling people out of their cryogenic chambers. Well, they've, they've, got, a, so you know, they've got a few. Three years of free tertiary education, I guess, one. is yeah. one. Is one. Um, l- let me just put this theory out there about Willie Jackson because he's been really lauded by uh, little. Um, and, and the Labour media um, apparatus, and, and also by some commentators I have never heard of who have now become experts <laughs> on Māori politics, um, which, which is that he is the key to Labour capturing the urban Māori vote. Now, Willie, Willie ran Is that the mayor, same as Waitakere Man? That's different. Waitakere Man isn't urban Māori. So, so, some Waitakere Men are Māori. They, they would be no urban Māori who have lost, who I'm just trying to remember don't have that. strong whakapapa roots. That was John Tamahiri, wasn't it? Mm. Sorry, sorry, I interrupted. Go. <laughs> you were, you were <laughs> expounding your theory. <laughs> and um, and, and I, I have this terrible feeling that Andrew Little was sold on this idea because Willie Jackson was just one of the most prominent Māori he had heard of. And so he thinks that he's a big vote getter. I, uh, mm, mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you. I mean, it strikes me as being the ultimate heist by Matt McCartan because I, I wonder if he has over, perhaps oversold Willie's influence in terms of Māori politics because if you look at his track record he hasn't been a particularly successful politician and as you mentioned, even the Manukau City Council um, he, he didn't win, and and Labour and Little being so indifferent and ignorant to Te Ao Māori has bought it hook, line and sinker, and it seems like an easy fix. Oh yeah, we'll grab Bully, okay cool, we're all squared away now. How that will actually play out, I'm intrigued to know. And yeah, there, there was an opinion piece about how this is going to be catastrophic for Hone, it means Hone won't come back. To be fair, um, I don't think Hone's, I don't think Willie's influence stretches to the north. And then someone said to me, "Oh, it's because he, you know, gave Hone a strategy." Well, Hone <laughs> lost the last election, so that's hardly a ad- ringing endorsement of his strategic skills in that area. Did he advise him to join the, the internet party with Kim.com <laughs> and Lila Hare? <laughs> but certainly, you know, Willie is a very noisy voice of opposition and um, and in that regard it will be helpful um, for Labour to have him on side rather than um, throwing stones from the sidelines but in terms of um, 
his credibility, um, you know, having been so critical of Labour over the foreshore and seabed and various other issues, um, it'll be interesting to see how it's received by Māori over the following months. Um, <clears throat> and of course, even a single-digit list position on the Labour Party may very seriously not result in a seat, given the way things uh, pan out with the system and the constituencies. I mean, you, you kind of... How many how many list MPs have Labour got now, Ben? It's very, very few. Very it's few. About five or six? Six, yeah, I think. Um, and, and, and they need to rebalance those with um, women on the list yeah. to, to ensure parity because m- the majority of their electorates are held by men. So in line with trying to get a sort of 50-50 split, um, any, any, any man on the list... I mean, Andrew Little is probably going to have to enter on the list unless a net king lays down Rongatai for him. No, so. no, and, and, uh, Rongatai's gone. He decided not, it's gone to that guy who's the deputy mayor of Eagle. Oh. He's, dip, he's, he's, he's unopposed in Rongatai. What a long break it's been. Yeah. The world's shifted yeah. under my feet. It's true, it's um, true. I, I have a real issue with a leader that isn't able to win an electorate. Bill English is on the list. I just think it's bad. For, oh, but wait, Bill wait. has he, been he able to win electorates over and over and over That's again, true. to be fair. That's true. When you're not even able to convince people in your own neighbourhood to vote for you, I question how you can um, encourage an entire nation to follow you. I that, think, that's just I th- my, that's I think my little take. would have pushed harder in, in Rongatai. Uh, I suspect that he would have pushed harder to get Rongatai if um, it hadn't been for the fact that he was going up against someone who was also on the list. So that kind of diffuses that, um, defuses that argument. That Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think Little still seems committed to actually standing in New Plymouth which will lead to, you know, the, the kind of alarming prospect of the leader, you know, the, the, the next presumptive Prime Minister of New Zealand losing by a big margin to Jonathan Young, who's a National Party backbencher. I think he's just recently been appointed as Under Secretary of Regional Development. Um, but, you know, this is... Jonathan Young is a really great electorate MP, but he's not a, a, a big political player, and he has trounced... Andrew Little. Yes, I'd have, I'd have to check this, but I think that Andrew Little is going to do a list-only campaign, and I think I, th- I think he'd be mad. That to, would be wiser. Yeah, yeah, and to do a whole, it's now my my constituency is the length of the country. Yada yada yada. Um, so how does that work then, in terms of you know how electorate MPs get much better resourcing than list MPs? Do you have a a leader that is doesn't have it as much resources as others. Prime Minister gets more resourcing than anyone. Mm. <laughs> that makes up for it. Um, thank you for joining us on this uh, first spin-off Gone by Lunchtime podcast of 2017. We, I have to go now and see if Donald Trump's tweeted anything because um, in the time that's passed I get a little bit edgy. Um, you Hopefully can edgy. you can tune into you can check out our other range of uh, podcasts at thespinoff.co.nz slash podcasts um, and you can like us on iTunes if you're into that and Ben Annabelle thank you very much it's lovely to see you again very good to see you thank you Jose Barbosa you're brilliant um, see you next time bye
Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.